welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Remember, if you're listening to the show in one of our stations around the country, you may not always be able to get to the show on that station at the time you'd like to. So make note of our website. It's commercialrealestateshow.com or CREshow.com. You can catch the shows of interest at any time you like. Well, today our topic is the restaurant industry. Please welcome my first guest, Darren Tristano, Executive Vice President, Technomic Food Industry, Facts, Insights, and Consulting. Darren, thanks for joining us today. And thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate it. And you guys do a, a great job of analyzing the uh, restaurant and food industry around the around the country, and I guess uh, around the world or North America. You tell us where you where you uh, do your analysis, but uh, how are restaurants in the U.S. performing overall right now? Well, right now, restaurants are performing better is the answer. If you think about the first three months of the year, especially in the northern part of the U.S. where the climate was very cold from the polar vortex, we saw so much less traffic to restaurants and spending. So recovering from the first part of the year, we've seen it start to improve and spending starting to increase. Higher consumer confidence, ultimately the stock market has performed and the real estate market is starting to flatten and even inch up a little bit. So overall, consumers are feeling better, their appetites and pent-up demand for restaurants has improved, and we're seeing slow, steady growth from the end of the first quarter into the remainder of the year. Now with that said, There are also additional costs and higher commodity costs, which are driving up inflation, driving up the costs, and ultimately uh, we're expecting a very, very flat performance for the industry, which means for those restaurants who are doing better, other restaurants are doing worse, losing that share. Okay, and there's a certain part of the restaurant industry that's doing better than others. Is it the, the white tablecloth restaurants doing well? What do you see? Well, on an overall basis, the restaurants that serve affluent consumers, the middle, upper, and upper-class consumer who has more money to spend and is more insulated from some of the other economic conditions like higher gas prices, are doing better. And that tends to be the fine dining and what we call polished casual. These would be restaurants in full service that do check averages from $20 up north of $100. The other part of the industry, which is limited service, includes both fast food and what we call fast casual. Fast casual would be Chipotle, Panda Express, Panera Bread. These are brands that typically the check averages eight to nine dollars up to around 12. Now the consumers who are able to spend that money um, and consumers who stretch to spend that money are certainly doing so, and that affluent consumer is driving success for those groups. The other part of the world, the middle class and the lower income groups, are struggling to make ends meet and getting out to the Applebee's and Chili's and TGI Fridays of the world, and even McDonald's has been struggling with very little growth over the past few years. So we see that the more affluent, focused concepts are doing better, and the fast food family-friendly and casual dining are struggling because their customer 
doesn't have the money to spend. That's interesting. We're talking with Darren Tristano with Technomic Food Industry. And so, Darren, what do you expect moving forward? You said that we've got some rising food costs. We have some other rising costs for these operators. So what do you expect, uh, say, the rest of this year and into next year? Well, I would expect for this year a lot of these operators are sensitive to taking prices up for fear that consumers may not come out to eat as often. So they're going to bear the cost. And into next year, we expect inflation to return to about a 2.1, 2.2% rate, which is pretty standard. So trying to weather the storm this year, no pun intended, ultimately getting back to normal next year, seeing some growth in 2015, but likely very modest growth on a, on a real basis, adjusted for inflation, likely about 1%, which is not a lot for, for an industry that wants to to really grow from a struggle over the course of the recession and the years that followed. So that's bottom line growth, right, that you're talking about, not just sales? Um, it's typically sales growth, but, okay. you know, if sales growth is around 3.5%, mm-hmm. and inflation is 25 that real growth is just the difference. Mm-hmm. It's what really changed when you take away the inflationary adjustment, and that's really not a lot of growth in, in an industry that was seeing five, six, seven percent nominal growth years ago. Okay, and uh, who are the restaurant chains out there that are really most aggressively expanding right now, Darren? Well, I think you have to look at the size of some of these restaurants, and to start with, I think you look at Chick Fil A. Mm-hmm. Chick Fil A is a brand coming out of the southeast. They've moved into California. They've come into the north. They're expanding very rapidly. They're adding restaurants that do about $3.2 million per store. So they're expanding not only with units, but also with their total sales. And most of the growth with major brands are in the limited service space because we have so many full-service restaurants, and the demand is still for fast food and fast casual. A second one would be Dickie's Barbecue. That one's coming from the south. They've expanded with fast casual. They do quite a bit of off-premise sales through catering, and they have been the fastest-growing chain. Beyond that, we're seeing sandwich shops, where we saw Subway growing to a very very large platform of over 26,000 stores. We're starting to see the emergence of the Better Sandwich segment, which includes Firehouse Subs, Jersey Mike's, and those are gaining momentum, growing into, into a number of places. Jimmy John's has held that position for a while. They also incorporated freaky fast delivery, but this better sandwich concept is growing. And then beyond that, we're seeing really in the chicken category, along with Chick-fil-A, brands like Raising Cane's, which does fresh and ever frozen chicken tenders, and another brand very similar, PDQ, down in Florida that just added their 30th restaurant. They're focusing on higher quality chicken, so Popeye's, KFC churches are struggling with a concept that has unhealthy crispy food or fried food and all of these other higher quality concepts are growing and then lastly I think if we're looking at full service anything that has to do with craft beer seems to be doing well a brand like Yard House that has 150 different types of beer seems to be growing with millennials who like craft beer and are looking for a place they can go a good occasion to socialize, and a good quality beer they're willing to spend more money for. 
Well, thank goodness for that one. I like that. <laughs> and, yeah. what, and what about real estate occupancy cost? I mean, real estate, you know, went through the downturn. It's like you said, it's improving now. What do you see as you look at the numbers for the trends for occupancy costs for these restaurants? Well, you would look at this market and say that so many restaurants are struggling or closing that it would be a more of a renter's market. But the reality is it's more of a landlord market because there is such a demand for high-quality A locations. The landlords have a lot of people who are competing to get these spaces. As brands grow and expand, they're trying to find these A locations, and it's driving rents up. I can tell you here in Chicago, rents um, total rents are between 40 and $50 a square foot, which is very high, especially for the U.S. Scottsdale, they're very high. Um, I think what's important there is to recognize that even though the market isn't trending well, the need for good quality real estate is high, and as a result, we're going to continue to see high rents for, for years to come. Okay. And is that percentage, uh, occupancy cost percentage of revenue, so do you see that number increasing? Well, I think what we typically have been seeing is stick to about 8% of total sales projections. Mm -hmm. And as I said, we're seeing closer to 10 to 11% in some of the markets, so it's becoming very difficult to find that space. So I think if you're going to be able to pay a couple of extra percent for occupancy, you have to find that somewhere else, and that's what's becoming difficult. When we know that the typical margins for restaurant operators are around 5%, 2% additional occupancy costs can really hurt you and make it difficult to be successful. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, if you've got a low margin, a slight increase like that can be detrimental. Well, Darren, thanks for joining us today. We sure appreciate uh, your insight. Thank you very much. And if you like more from Darren, uh, visit their website. Uh, there's a lot of great information there that obviously you can buy, but also there's some great information you can get up there for free. The site is called technomic.com. That's T-E-C-H-N-O-M-I-C. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the restaurant industry. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Our topic today is the restaurant industry. Everyone's interested in the restaurant industry, right? Especially if you're in the commercial real estate business because restaurants have become a big part of the retail uh, real estate market. And please welcome my next guests, Eric Gagnon and Robin Gagnon. They are founders of We Sell Restaurants. They're the nation's largest restaurant brokerage firm. They also wrote the book, Appetite for Acquisition. Eric, Robin, thanks for joining us today. We are so glad to be here. Thanks for having us, Well, we Michael. appreciate it. And they also have a talk radio show uh, on Talk 920 on noon on Saturdays and on Biz 1190 at 1 o'clock on Sundays in Atlanta about We Sell Restaurants. So you got to catch you guys on the radio too, right? Absolutely. Love to have some more listeners. Yeah, that's right. Well, thanks for joining us today. And, uh, you know, my first question is, is related to you guys are in the industry every day. You're, you're buying and selling restaurants. Uh, you're helping these uh, restaurant owners uh, 
with their franchisees and franchisors and everything. So from your side of the environment, what are you seeing with the, the higher demand for space? We're having you know more demand, as, as we just heard, four key Class A great space. So how's that affecting the industry? Well, you know, last year there were 980,000 restaurants in America. This year there's projected to be 990,000. So that growth rate is creating demand for fewer numbers of spaces and more restaurants that want to launch. So we see, for example, one realm that's growing is restaurant resales. So a tenant, proposed tenant, can't get into a space that he wants. He's going to buy out the guy that's already in there because one of the most valuable things he has is access to a lease that may be transferable to him. So that's one way that we're seeing that demand affect us. Yeah, we're seeing, you know, values of A-plus space because there's only A-plus space like the ocean. You know, there's only one ocean. You can't produce that much more. You know, the growth in the past would see people going out in the outskirts and, you know, things growing, like, you know, sprawling. But that has kind of stopped, and now everybody wants to be back where A-plus space are, but there's only so many of them. So they become more valuable, like Robin said, more expensive and also more competitive. So we see people willing to buy out somebody that's not doing well in an A-plus space just to get access to that lease. The other factor is a lot more flexibility, Michael. You know, there was a time, maybe 10 years ago, when we started in this business that someone said, my box must be 4,000 square feet, must be an end cap, must have a patio. That's all it is. And today, everybody is exploring the multiple flexible type concepts. So they may have something that scales all the way down to 2,500 square feet, no patio, up to 6,000 square feet. So it's not a one-size-fits-all environment anymore, and that's partly because of the scarcity of space. The other thing is that we're seeing more stringent requirements, right, Eric? Yeah, I mean, landlords are becoming more and more, um, I guess, choosy about who they're going to you know, bring in the space. So uh, a lot of them don't want a new uh, new concept. And a lot of seasoned operators have this new concept. And you go to a landlord's or a developer and say, uh, we have this new concept. Well, we don't know about it. We really want something that has already got a proven track record, maybe other locations. So an operator has proven that multiple concepts in its portfolio are able to be uh, successful. So we're seeing a lot of different um, criteria and you know, personal guarantees you know, and all the things that I'm sure you talk about with other uh, guests on your shows that are becoming more and more uh, prevalent. Liquidity, as we know, you know, it's a big thing, but it's especially for restaurants. The burn rate is a lot higher than a lot of other businesses. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot more uh, requirements, stringent requirements on these aspects. And lastly, I would say this. Every single person looking for space in today's environment, time is your enemy. And we tell them this over and over again, but you've got to have a go-to-market ready package strategy so that when that space presents itself, we are ready to jump in and be prepared because what's on the table today is not going to be there tomorrow. So to be ready is key. That's very good advice. And and the benefit of having the flexibility and the size of your space has multiple uh, benefits, right? And not only maybe you can fit in various and have more location uh, decisions and opportunities, but you also can adjust the size for that market, right? So you might not need such a big space in some of the markets, especially some of the more urban markets where, you, right? Absolutely. And you may also learn something about your business model and that on a sales per square foot basis, you actually downsize something and find out that you're much more profitable because your cost per square foot goes down or your sales per square foot goes up dramatically. So we actually find operators that end up 
right-sizing themselves over time and in a period where there were all kinds of choices and they could always be this luxurious 4,500 square feet, they may never have learned that about their business model. Yeah, and it's interesting. So that demand you're seeing for those great spaces is helping existing restaurant owners be able to sell. I mean, that's great news. So they may even have a restaurant that's maybe not all that very profitable, but they've got a great lease, so they have something to sell, right? Correct. We see that a lot right now. Yeah. There's some people that have maybe had a concept that has been, you know, 15, 20 years, and it's tired, and they decide, you know, hey, I'm ready to retire. I do not want to refresh my concept. I'm just ready for, you know, this place at the beach or in the mountains I've been dreaming all my life, and now they're ready for that. Like, hey, I don't have much to sell. It's like, uh, no, not quite right. You know, you have a very valuable lease, and if we can convince the landlord to keep the, these rates and going in places for the next five, ten years, we may be able to get you, you know, several hundreds of thousands of dollars just for that lease, that valuable lease. Yeah, and that reminds me, I was actually in the restaurant business when I was in high school. <laughs> I was the night <laughs> manager. Known fact, we're going to yeah. have to tweet about that. <laughs> That's right. I was a night manager of a steakhouse and actually did the NDC reports and hired and, and, and made sure that people were doing their jobs. And uh, it was a great experience. It made me really appreciate commercial real estate later, though. <laughs> That's right. You, you probably enjoy the hours a lot better than commercial real estate, right? That's right. And, and you mentioned for restaurant operators as tenants to be ready, to be prepared when, when they're looking at space so they can jump on it. How should they be, be prepared? What do they really need to, to get those great spaces when they become available? Everybody should get a pen, piece of paper right now and take some notes. <laughs> Robin, you want to get us started? I've got my paper. All right. I know you do. <laughs> Absolutely. Rule number one, uh, when we have tenants come to propose, tenants come to us and say, mm -hmm. I want to put in a restaurant, and I say, what type, where's your menu? And they say, mm -hmm. we're working on it. I say, Go do that homework and come back because the first thing that that landlord wants to know is what is this concept? How does it fit into my center currently? Mm -hmm. What are the surrounding demographics? Does it have a, a potential for success because of where it's coming in? So writing that business plan all the way down to who you are, what your experience is, who your customer will be, what your price points will be, what your menu service and selection will be is critical. So your business plan, your personal financial statement. You've got to have your personal uh, business affairs in order. Pull your own credit check. Make sure there are no surprises up front. You don't want to wait till we've presented you to the landlord and go, oh, well, didn't know that bankruptcy seven years ago would ever haunt me again mm -hmm. in this scenario. So all those elements, everything you need to go to market so that we can turn on a dime and say to a landlord with lots of credibility and lots of assurances this is a great candidate he has a well thought out um, idea he knows who his target audience is and your center fits that model because you're walking into a landlord saying we want to be successful together it's a partnership right. and you got to sell yourself in this day and age that's a very good point it is a partnership and you know the the landlords are concerned because if you don't make it it's a it's bad for their their center and not only you're not paying the rent possibly, uh, but you're also not bringing in the, the, the traffic, right? Correct. Yeah, another good point is uh, if you speak in a partnership, if you have a partnership, we see a lot more people getting together, pulling resources right now to go in because costs have gone higher and higher. Make sure that that partnership agreement and you have is in place, already signed, your attorneys have consumed everything that you need to be ratified and also fund that partnership before because uh, when landlords as you know they will verify your bank account nowadays and you says oh well we'll figure that out once we get the space by the time you figure out your partnership agreement more likely the space will have you to have other you know letter of intent on or somebody else will take that space right and it's you know it's obvious if you're a big company you've got good credit but if you're a smaller operator they want to know how much money you have and what your experience is and what your credit's like it makes sense 
Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll stay with us. We'll have more on the restaurant industry. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the restaurant industry. My guests are Eric Gagnon and Robin Gagnon. They wrote the book Appetite for Acquisition. They also have a company called We Sell Restaurants. And one of the big things that restaurant operators need to be concerned with, right, is their lease. I mean, that's a big portion of controlling their business for a long time. And it's, in fact, it's one of the things that we see landlords and tenants sometimes take too lightly. What are some tips that you would provide for restaurant operators related to their lease? Michael, I don't think we have enough time on the show to go through all of them. <laughs> we can do the whole show on that. That's right. We can do a whole show on this, but we'll definitely uh, give some. I think one of the first thing is, you know, we believe get an expert. You know, mm-hmm. restaurant leasing is, is mm-hmm. a specialty on its own. So mm-hmm. make sure you have an, an expert or a licensed professional with you to help you, you know, uh, negotiating and be also kind of a, a buffer because it gets pretty emotional sometimes, as you know, negotiating uh, terms like this. So uh, I have a professional to help you would be probably a good start. Somebody that's done restaurant leasing can understand restaurant leasing and explain to the landlord because if you just go to landlord like you know i know darren uh, earlier in your show today said uh you know occupancy costs eight percent be nice 10 11 is what we're seeing and you go to landlord well it's got to be 10 percent because that's what restaurants pay that's not going to be a good explanation to make them understand why you should be at that and why you should you know not go beyond that and so you got to be able to prove your business case in order to do that you need to be knowledgeable about more than just real estate you got to know the operations part of it well let me ask you about that so you mean maybe someone that's a consultant in the restaurant industry that understands the business like like you guys it also may mean a, a tenant rep a, a broker who understands leases and, and the market and the and the local laws and customs for real estate and you're also talking about a, a real estate lawyer right and maybe a lawyer that's really done a lot of restaurant work Correct. And, yeah. and again, bring it back to what Eric said, it's also infrastructure. I mm-hmm. mean, a restaurant, for example, needs higher HVAC needs than traditional restaurant space. So someone who's just done retail space may not understand that. They may need increased um, electrical requirements. So we also need to consider that. And an attorney obviously needs to be a partner to that lease but what we find is often attorneys look at this with just through the lens of the law Mm -hmm. you know what is the legal language saying that restaurant uh, broker or restaurant professional that knows the business is going to be looking at business terms like the number one thing not only how to get into this lease what happens to you when it's time to get out and we always bring that to the table that's an important consideration because you don't want to believe that any prospect could fail but if it does then what's your liability what's your ongoing personal guarantee you know what is the landlord's requirements to look at and do an assignment for someone new and how long do they have to do that and what are the credit requirements because you don't want to be stuck in this never never land where you have a buyer ready to go into your space and you can't transfer a lease because of a business deal you signed five years ago yeah that's a very good point and that that lease can sometimes control the 
the fate of that business for a very long time, right? So you've got those considerations that maybe the attorney hasn't seen the site and he's not aware of what's around it or what the parking situation is or, or maybe what the competitive market's like if this lease doesn't get done, where are they going to go, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple matter. I don't know if Darren mentioned it, but I think net adjusted for inflation uh, this coming this year, we're talking about a 1% increase in sales. Mm-hmm. And most leases in the retail world are like 3% a year increase. Right. So I'm down 2% for my profit. If my profit's 10% in five years, I'm working for the landlord. I am not making a dime. Yeah. Well, landlords like that. No, no. Landlords <laughs> do like that. They do. But that's the, the challenge you have. So how do we get yeah. with the landlord, have an open discussion, say, hey, yeah. we want to be here for a long time. But we got to make sure we also can make money to pay ourselves. And of course, we're kidding. Landlords want their tenants to be successful. You know, that's, yes. that's obvious. <laughs> They've got to be successful to pay their rent and stay, right? Absolutely, they do. And and the last thing I would say, and, and we all talked about this, but don't ever go out and negotiate on your own. Because mm-hmm. sometimes people have that mistaken impression that if they bring a broker on board that it costs them some sort of money and we should just point out that most of the time commissions are handled by the landlord so mm-hmm. what you're getting is the valuable expertise and experience of someone who's going to save you money who's on your side and advocating on your behalf and I think that's a key piece I mean it's a very good point I mean when you're we sell investment properties we sell shopping centers and when we're doing our underwriting for the long-term hold of that asset we're building in leasing commissions um, and in fact some landlords really like it when there's a tenant rep because then the tenant doesn't have unreasonable expectations as well and it can help really a deal get done and and I think uh, you're right some of the tenant tenants think that they know their business so well they're so successful they don't need it and they can make some big mistakes and we've seen it in in, in all industries that rent you know occupancy food and labor those are the three things that over the long term you must manage as a restaurateur so if you get stuck into a long-term fixed cost problem because labor is variable you can fix it up or down depending on how sales are going as well as um, your food costs they're going to go up or down it's variable but that fixed cost of the rent is the one that's going to be around your neck for a long time you got to get it right yeah, and it's key if you can get it, if you have the leverage as a tenant to get some flexibility too. You know, maybe you want to change and serve a different type of food or something if you have a problem. So a lot of tips professionals can help you with, and we'll have more on the restaurant industry. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. We're talking about the restaurant industry today. We have Eric Gagnon and Robin Gagnon with us. They wrote the book, appetite for acquisition and they have a radio show called we sell restaurants and guys there's a lot of changes in the demographics out there today there's a lot of changes in the society how's that impacting the restaurant industry what changes are you seeing well we um, as restaurant brokers Mm -hmm. some of the societal changes that are impacting us dramatically is if you think back to for example franchises Mm -hmm. franchising really started in America in the 50s so those original franchisors had bought these legacy brands because as the interstate highway system grew then a franchise would locate there and that's how America kind of learned to buy that same brand every time they were on vacation so 
Now we're looking at the third generation of that ownership. So we have had the original generation that purchased the business and started up. Then they transferred it, and they had a great uh survived very well did very well for their family maybe bought two or three more units it's time for them to turn the reins over to their grandchildren who are millennials who are saying "Mm, not so much you know (laughs) i'm not interested so those um changeovers of franchise resales are really driving a lot of growth in the industry so you were seeing restaurants change hands at a faster rate than they would have even 10 years ago and we're also seeing a lot of change in technology but you know people think technology they think you know cell phone, mobile apps, you know, television, you know, POS systems, but we also see a lot of new technology in the restaurant equipment. I mean, Robin and I have fortunate to go to a lot of the trade shows and stuff, things like that, and it's amazing, the new technology, whether it's, you know, gas or electric or, um, you know, there's some ovens right now, you can actually put a flash drive in and it will actually cook automatically, you know, your, your food. That, you know, I, I need that at home. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all do. I think you're, you're, you're so right about that. And, you know, so it's amazing, the technology in the restaurant industry. I mean, we're talking, you know, uh, kitchens. I, I know uh, most most large cities have large kitchen unless you go to New York City and different places where they have a little smaller. But I mean, the kitchen of the future, it's probably looking a lot smaller than it is, which is good for occupancy costs so we can reduce that. So technology is influencing all aspects from the consumer all the way to the back of, of the house. And while you're talking about technology, there's a lot of talk about increasing the minimum wage and in fact, a, in, in a big way. And is technology going to be more uh, involved, in, involved in the restaurant industry? Is, are we going to go to the fast food and, and not see a person anymore if they've got to double their pay? Are we going to be dealing with an, uh, with an app or something? I think it's absolutely possible that mm-hmm. um, more and more operators are going to turn to technology to solve problems that they're using people for today, particularly at the minimum wage level and the pressure on minimum wage to raise is simply going to escalate that growth in technology so that you walk up you know now you scan your own groceries at the grocery store why couldn't you walk into a mcdonald's and just key in your own order from that terminal yourself because people are so app friendly they could do it on their phone before they got there and then just pick it up Uh, and prepay it with a credit card and that's interesting you mentioned the millennials earlier and and if i'm with my son at the grocery store and there's the we can check out ourselves or we can go to a person he wants to go do it himself Right. He says, look, my dad, this is faster. It's easier. Exactly. And uh, you're in control of the situation. Yeah. And so people yeah. like that, particularly in fast food and quick serve segments mm-hmm. of the industry. Yeah. And those are the segments that are most he- heavily leveraged towards the most workers at that um, entry level price point of a minimum wage. You mean my order won't get messed up anymore if, uh, I'm, if well, I'm doing you, it? <laughs> you only have one person to blame. <laughs> That's a theory. <laughs> That's right. Well, I was reading the uh, LA Biz this morning. There was an article about uh, two guys who started a company called Appetize, and it's really interesting. It's an app where if you're in a, um, uh, a sporting event or a, 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 a show, that you can order your drinks and concessions and pay for it right from your seat. So technology is, is, is really impacting this industry, isn't it? It is. It's, it's such a, a tremendous, you know, impact, on, especially on the consumer side, like you mentioned. You know, now you can go to a ball game. I mean, you actually have now restaurants that, if you allow them, will track your last order, your preferences. What table do you like? If, what did you order last time? If you like a, a, a you know, a, a Chateau Lafitte 68, you know, they will have that for you ready if you'd like. I mean, they will keep even the guests that you had with you, their company, they'll keep everything on record for you to your custom, you know, needs, which is... And well, a little scary because if you decide to have something else to, you know, that day and, 
you know, you, you may change your mind, but it is impacting uh, the consumer. It is impacting the industry. It's also um, part of it, you know, labor pool has been very difficult to find quality people in the industry. It's been very hard because we know there's a good turnover that's a little greater and everything like that. And a lot of people believe technology will give you greater opportunity to upsell or to make proper recommendations because if you think of a human being, sometimes they may forget to ask you for you know, an additional thing or give you some information based on what you just ordered or what you're asking, make the proper recommendation. And they believe that automation and technology may be able to overcome that on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, the computer's going to do it. It's not going to say no or forget, right? Well, and, and how much more do you order just when the basic menu is beautiful and full of photographs? So mm-hmm. then imagine that that next uh, menu presented to you is in the form of an iPad and Mm -hmm. so everything you look at and touch comes up with a mouth-watering picture and then a suggestion would you like this to accompany that meal it's amazing yeah I like it I've been to restaurants that have the iPad and yeah it really makes it a lot easier yeah think about it you know we talk a lot about farm to table and technology Mm -hmm. if you think about this think about having an iPad while your meal is being cooked and see uh, talk to the farmer have a video of the farmer telling you about you know, where your food came from and everything. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You talk about technology to know what I ordered last time. I went to a restaurant the other day. When I walked in, they said, oh, hello, Michael Bull. Welcome back to the restaurant. Now, how do they know my well, name? You're famous. You're famous. Your show. <laughs> <laughs> no. Then they looked down and said, you've got your name tag on from your morning meeting. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well. That's so funny. <laughs> so that was kind of old school, right? There, there was no technology used there, right? Uh, no, they didn't recognize me. I, I get more recognized from my voice. I'll be at an event and people will hear my voice and they'll know me. They can look right at my face and not know who I am. So uh, I'm just a voice out there. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks for joining us, and we're going to have more for you in just a moment on the restaurant industry. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Your voice in commercial real estate. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit commercialrealestateshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about the restaurant industry. We have Eric and Robin Gagnon with us in the studio, in Studio One here in Atlanta. And I'd like to ask you guys about location analysis. I mean, it's important to a restaurant that they have the right location. And it's obviously, it's important as well, as we talked about earlier, because the landlord is important to the landlord because they're a partner. This tenant really has to make it. What are some tips for restaurants for site location? I think one of the key things is, you know, you got to look, you know, scarcity is, is happening right now. There's a lot of, you know, we talked about A-plus location earlier. So we have to have, you know, everybody wants an A-plus location, but not everybody can get it. So patience is going to be one of the things that people should have. Also, look at more than one facet. Like we talk about different size box, non-traditional box maybe can fit for your, your location. And, um, you know, a lot of tenant reps look at new development, you know, maybe some, some releasing of closed restaurant space. But if you looked at restaurant brokers like we sell restaurants, for instance, you know, uh, restaurant for sale. Maybe you can buy a restaurant. So that broker may not have access to that. So it may be good to have another broker to look at that that is more focused in that area. Right. So you give you more option to look at that. And, um, again, if you see something, Robin said it earlier, you know, be ready, be prepared. Because that is 
you're not going to have a lot of selection. We have a lot of people calling our offices. Say, I've been working at a broker for six months, and he's only got me two spaces. And I'm like, mm -hmm. well, that's actually pretty good, depending on the <laughs> markets you're in. Though. Right. And I think also that um, if you are really serious about finding the best location, we need to understand exactly what it is that defines that best location. So you said it. There are metrics out there. What do the demographics need to look like? What is the traffic count? What is your preferred set of standards? And then sort of what, let's back up from that then and see what might work. Do you have to go a little bit farther outside of your original footprint? And should you throw a few scenarios out there and test them depending on how big a brand that you are? So be clear about what it is that you want and also a time frame for making that happen because it could be, it won't be realistic in this marketplace, but have somebody advocating for you and looking for you on a consistent and concerned basis based on what you have in mind because if you go to everyone in town and just kind of take a shotgun approach and throw it out there and says oh this is what I'm looking for you kind of won't be important to anyone you need to build that relationship as well with the the broker whoever your tenant representative is going to be and make sure you're dealing with someone that has some connections deep connections within the industry Good point. because those folks you know I'm sure that folks come to you Michael and say listen I'm not ready to turn this space over yet, but I've got XYZ tenant. I know they're going to roll out of there in the next yeah. 60 to 90 days. So you're kind of taking advantage of your relationships as well and being able to put things in front of clients. That's good advice. And before the show ends, I want to ask you guys about competition when it comes to site location. What are some comments you could share with our listeners and viewers about do they want to be near other restaurants, say in the shopping center? Do they want to, who do they want to be away from or near? Okay, so that is a two-sided question because mm -hmm. some people will say, I don't, there's too much competition there. I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. And then other people will say, oh, no, I want to be there because that means if somebody is super busy at this restaurant, they can't go there. But the number one thing people have said to us for the last five years is wherever Chipotle is, we want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. And, you know, Robin said it, you know, pretty well but you know we I believe competition is good and it's actually not competition it's options because not everybody eats at Chipotle every single meal right. so maybe I know where Chipotle is but then I can also go you know to a hamburger shop or to a sandwich shop or to a steakhouse or something different so if everything's a destination then I think that's the best way to go yeah I mean I like that I mean that sometimes I'll head out to go to a restaurant and I'll head to an area where I know there's about 12 restaurants to pick from and sometimes I'm driving and my wife or children say where are we going well I don't know but I'll, I'll figure it out well guys I really appreciate you joining us today thanks for being on the show happy to Our be pleasure. here thank you if you like more information from them uh, visit their website we sell restaurants.com if you listen to the show on the radio, note that the show is expanding and times and stations are subject to change. You can always listen to the show on any smartphone, tablet, or computer by visiting the show website, CREshow.com. You can catch the current show or any topic of your choice. Well, be sure and join us next week. We'll have a show on appraisals and assessments. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us this week. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Florida International University. Earn your commercial real estate master's degree in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And Bull Realty Commercial Brokers, a great place to do business. Visit BullRealty.com. And France Media Publications and Conferences. For exposure to the world of commercial real estate, visit FranceMediaInc.com.